Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, July 20th, 2020. On the show today, I visit the Animal Kingdom, Epcot, Hollywood Studios, and Disney cancels a bunch of projects. And in our main segment, Jim tells us about Disneyland's hyperhighway, the design of the infrastructure around the resort once California Adventure opened to make access easier. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that the Keebler elves putting an oven in a treehouse seems like a really unsafe work environment. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I am so glad you started by talking about food because I have a bone to pick with you, Len. For the love of God, stop talking about the chicken at the Grand Floridian, all right? You know? <laughs> Did you see I yes. did a blog post on that chicken? Oh, my God. That was amazing. This is the second time you've talked about this particular chicken that served at the Grand Florian Cafe. And I was this far away from booking a flight to Florida. <laughs> Taking your life into your own hands for some fried chicken. It was such an amazing piece of food porn. You wrote so lovingly about this chicken. And I loved your description of it because really the last time you were served chicken at the Grand Florian Cafe, it was this mutant chicken breast. And in fact, what? What is it that you said in the article to get the effect of, A, this was a chicken, and then the B, how did you catch it? Because it must have yeah. been eight feet tall. <laughs> the chicken, if you haven't seen the uh, the blog post, I have pictures of it on there, but the the chicken breast spans a 12-inch dinner plate. <sighs> it, it looked more like half a turkey breast, something that you would serve at Thanksgiving. So when it came out, my first question to the server was, is this really chicken? And my second question was, how did you catch it? Yeah, so. it was it was messy. Actually, it's kind of funny. I was in uh, I was in the studios yesterday, and mm-hmm. uh, a subscriber yep. uh, stopped me to say hi, and and they actually had gone to the Grand Floridian Cafe the night before and ordered the chicken <laughs> because of the blog post that I saw. That they written on it. I'm serious. I came within inches of snagging a plane ticket just because, A, your earlier story of chicken, and then B, oh, it's gotten better. And it's like, oh, oh man. So good. Okay. It was incredible. We'll talk about food, too. I, uh, I did food and wine yesterday at, uh, at Epcot, so we'll talk about that, too. Cool, cool. All right. First, Jimdo, let's do a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Jim, a lucky 13 weeks with a record number of Bandcamp subscribers. Also, folks, we've got Bandcamp exclusive walk-arounds of Epcot in the studios coming out in the next couple of days, including tasting notes for Food and Wine 2020. And I saw so many subscribers in the park yesterday, everywhere I went, uh, thanks to Kellum and Mike and Beth and Becky and Megan and Emily and everyone else who stopped uh, us to say hi. It was great to see all of y'all. Jim, thanks to new subscribers, Sam E., Deshab, and CV Workout, and to longtime subscribers, Short Pixie, Ethan K., and Jimmy G., Jim, these are the folks who are the game wardens who finally cleaned up the poaching problem on the savannah at Disney's Kilimanjaro Safaris. You remember how when you used to go on this ride, you'd always see an orphaned elephant somewhere along the way? Mm-hmm. But, but not anymore, Jim. By educating the villagers on the importance of conservation and allegedly dangling a couple of holdouts over the crocodile pit, <laughs> they got the message across, Jim. True story. <laughs> Oh, well, I would actually like at some point in my life to actually see the crocodiles there move. I'm I'm still not convinced. <laughs> the world's slowest animatronics. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jim. Uh, so a couple of things. On last week's show, I mentioned that before I went into the, uh, into the Magic Kingdom, I was asked a question about whether I'd been in an airport in the last 14 days. And a bunch of listeners wrote in to say that I didn't explain 
what would happen if I answered yes to that question? So I asked Disney mm -hmm. uh, and they said simply it would lead to other follow-up questions. So you can say, yes, you've been in an airport and still get into the parks. If you say yes, and that airport was JFK or Newark or LaGuardia, mm -hmm. I'm sure you're going to get a follow-up question about how long you've been in Florida and whether you're complying with the 14-day mandatory quarantine period. But just saying, yes, you've been in an airport isn't enough to keep you out of the parks. So I hope that uh, uh, that answers that question. Okay. Also, Jim, we, uh, we, we, we said on last week's show that there was some dissatisfaction with annual pass holders about the way Disney was doing park reservations, right? So remember now you've got uh, a fixed capacity for reservations in each of the four Disney World parks right now. And three groups are allocated space uh, reservations for those parks. And those three groups are guests with resort reservations, mm -hmm. guests who've bought date specific tickets, like I bought a ticket for August 1st, mm -hmm. and then annual pass holders. And when Disney opened up reservations to all three groups, annual pass holders quickly filled up all of the available slots that they had for most parks. So for example, Disney's Hollywood Studios sold out to annual pass holders mm -hmm. really, really fast. And so even though there was lots of capacity left over for example, guests with dated tickets mm -hmm. or guests who had hotel reservations, if you're an annual pass holder, once they hit that limit, you're out of luck. Mm -hmm. And we said that, you know, Disney really should change this policy mm -hmm. because if there's capacity left and it's not going to the other two groups, mm -hmm. why not give annual pass holders a shot at this? Mm -hmm. Because they paid for their tickets. And Disney this week actually changed that policy. So the, uh, doing exactly what we said. Mm -hmm. The idea being that if there, are, if there are spaces available in the parks that aren't being taken by the other two groups, annual pass holders can have it. And so that went into effect uh, this past Tuesday, uh, July 14th. Mm -hmm. And since then, Jim, have you seen the, uh, the statistics? No, I've not. The studios is still sold out. In fact, from July 16th through the middle of August, at least, I don't think uh, annual pass holders can get into the studios any day. Mm -hmm. But the good news is that you can uh, annual pass holders can now get into, I think, every other park almost every other day. Hmm. So the studios is the only park uh, in which annual pass holders still have difficulty getting in. Okay. Well, that says a lot about the appeal of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, likewise Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, Rise of the Resistance, right. And that extends out, as far as I can tell, through late September, like on weekends, especially mm -hmm. in September. Um, it's very difficult for annual pass holders to get into, uh, to get into the studios. Okay. And speaking of the parks, I've been in three parks this week. So it's mm -hmm. Friday and I've been in three parks. Sunday, I went to the Animal Kingdom mm -hmm. and I was there with Steve, our statistician. And our goal was to test a touring plan, two different versions of the exact same touring plan. On Sunday, Steve was uh, going to start at Flight of Passage and go to Kilimanjaro Safaris. Uh, and that was his own idea for a touring plan. Mm -hmm. I was doing a computer-optimized touring plan, which had me start at Dinosaur, which is really interesting because we didn't think there were going to be that many people in Animal Kingdom, mm -hmm. and it probably wouldn't have mattered which way you went. This is probably going to be the Sunday on the Animal Kingdom, probably one of the slowest days of the year. Mm -hmm. And yet, despite that, um, Steve waited 40 more minutes in the line than I did, 40, uh, 40 minutes over the course of the day. Mm -hmm. And the reason was, I think everyone went to Flight of Passage mm -hmm. in Kilimanjaro Safaris when the parks opened, so that by the time I got there, the, the lines were completely gone. So I went to Dinosaur, literally walked onto Dinosaur. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the pre-show running, so you could just walk through the pre-show film. Mm -hmm. And I, I walked onto the car. 
Like didn't, didn't stop walking from the time I entered the building to the time I was on the ride vehicle. And of course there's plexiglass everywhere on that. Mm-hmm. I went from dinosaur, let's see, primeval, primeval world is closed. We'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. From there, I went to expedition Everest and again, walked on. In fact, I walked on the gates actually opened up uh, in front of the ride vehicle so that I didn't have to stop walking from the time I left dinosaur <laughs> until the time I got in the seat of expedition Everest, which was kind of great. Wow. Yeah, didn't it, <laughs> I was I was trying to, you know, time my weight for the mm-hmm. lines at the lines okay. app. And uh and I was I was hitting the button and the cast member came over and said, Sir, you need to sit down so we can let the train go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted here for a second. But there were only there were th- three of us. So the mm-hmm. my, my, my three party group was on the uh, was on the train, so it was just mm-hmm. us. Didn't inconvenience anyone else. From there we went to Collie River Rapids, and I haven't been on Collie River Rapids in a couple of years because mm-hmm. I hate getting wet. Um, the good news is, is that they're not running any of the really, really, really tremendous water features that will get you soaked. Mm-hmm. So remember at the top of the lift hill, they sometimes run like a little geyser that just soaks half the, oh, yeah. half the raft. Mm-hmm. They're not running that. I got spritzed, mm-hmm. but I didn't get, I didn't get wet on it at all. So that was good. In mm-hmm. fact, they would have let us ride it right again, but I didn't want to push my luck okay. on it. But it was uh, it was good to be on Kali. Then from there we walked on to safaris. Like again, literally walked all the way to the end to the point where they say how many people in your group. Then the only time we waited was for the truck to pull up. And this is interesting. They've actually got plexiglass between each row mm-hmm. of the truck now. And because of that, and because it's outdoors, mm-hmm. it's actually a mask optional environment. Oh. You don't have to wear a mask on it. Let me just say, wear the mask. Right? Mm-hmm. Don't. Don't not wear the mask. Okay. And then from there, the only big ride that was left was flight of passage for us. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, the middle part of the day, the, the touring plan had us doing all of the nature trails. So we mm-hmm. did the Discovery Island trails. We did Gorilla Falls. We did Maharaja Jungle Trek, uh, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And they, those were fabulous. We also threw into the touring plan, it's tough to be a bug, mm-hmm. which is not normally on the plan because a, it's not a great use of time. B, it's not very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't. Uh, so we so we did that. Also, have you seen the new the news about the Up Bird Adventure show being replaced? Yeah. Now, just to be clear here, this means they pulled Doug and Russell out of the show, right? Right. So the second or third ver- the third version of the show mm-hmm. was bringing in the Up characters to mm-hmm. talk about environmentalism in, in birds mm-hmm. and it never really worked. Um, mm-hmm. but it was better than the second version of the show, which was sort of like Coachella meets, uh, av- aviation or, or aviaries mm-hmm. wasn't great. This is the best version of this show that it's ever been. I don't mm-hmm. think they have a formal name for it yet. If they do, it's not on my Disney experience yet, Okay, but it's all about the birds and their trainers. There's mm-hmm. nothing, there's no characters. There's no silly story. It's just, here are the birds, and here's what they can do, and here's how we here's how we um, we train them. Mm-hmm. It's fast paced. It focuses entirely on the birds. There's still audience interaction where the birds fly over you, and and they do you know stunts like flying around people in the crowd. But it's informative. It's entertaining. It's the best version of this show that it's ever been, and I think that's great because clearly Disney took the break mm-hmm. from you know March to July to rethink how to do this show. And what they've got now is, like I said, it's the best version of the show. It, it's nice to see them actually doing these things. That's great. Okay. A couple of other things that we noticed around Animal Kingdom. Uh, the Carnival Games in Dinoland 
aren't available. Likewise, remember in Africa, there used to be a set of outdoor drums that families could pound on around Harambe Market. Those are no longer available. That kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Also, in the nature trails, mm-hmm. there's an indoor room on the Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail where you could see like naked mole rats and other uh, exhibits in an indoor space. That's closed. Mm-hmm. All the other spaces are open and they've tried to make everything as low touch as possible. So for example, you remember on the Maharaja jungle trek mm-hmm. where you would go into the aviary, you'd have to pass through this curtain of plastic chains. Yes. Mm-hmm. You don't touch those anymore. The chains are gone. So there's still a door, okay. um, but there's hand sanitizers now on both sides of the door. Okay. Uh, so that's good. The one thing I will say is the Animal Kingdom and the studios, which we'll talk about in a second, mm-hmm. kind of miss the equity performers a little bit. So the the union actors who do things like Festival of the Lion King or Finding Nemo mm-hmm. in the Animal Kingdom, they haven't come to an agreement yet with Disney mm-hmm. about how they're going to return and work in the current environment. So there's those shows aren't running. Mm-hmm. And I think for Animal Kingdom and for the studios, they kind of need those shows more than let's say the Magic Kingdom needs needs equity performers. Not that Magic Kingdom doesn't, Mm -hmm. but there are relatively fewer things to do in the Animal Kingdom in the studios. And I think think that does impact the park a little bit. Sadly, given everything that's going on in Florida right now, it could be a while before this gets resolved. I heard the the big issue there is around uh, testing and the frequency of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it exactly. Yeah. Well, here's hoping they can come to some sort of an understanding soon, so... Yeah, but the Animal Kingdom was uh, was fantastic. I will say this, um, you know, other than wearing the masks and obviously the social distancing stuff, and, and I'm going to harp on this throughout the entire show, Jim, it is hot mm-hmm. in Florida. When we were in the Animal Kingdom on Sunday, it was 97 to 99 degrees mm-hmm. plus the humidity. And that was, by the way, it's still in the shade. So with the heat index, it was somewhere between 105 and 107. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. So like I, I actually wore a long sleeve white running shirt to keep mm-hmm. the sun off of me. Yep. Uh, and everything, but I was wearing shorts, mm-hmm. but where my, between my knees and my ankles, where, uh, where my socks ended, mm-hmm. I have heat rash oh. in a clear line around, <laughs> around where my socks were. And, and heat rash, Jim, is a polite way of saying that the concrete was cooking my skin. Given the way you described your time at the kingdom, you just did not stop moving. No. So, I mean, yeah. the, you know, you got some great cardio. <laughs> I have been closing all of my uh, uh, Apple uh, Apple Watch uh, rings every day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's a lot to do, and and it's just you just got to stay hydrated. I mean, I know we're all worried about the virus and everything, but mm-hmm. man, Florida weather is just no joke. It's okay. it's super super hot. All mm-hmm. right. So uh, so Wednesday mm-hmm. was the opening of Epcot and mm-hmm. also the start of. Food and Wine 2020, because it's July, and who doesn't want cheddar cheese soup <laughs> in July? So, uh, so my sister Christina and I went to, uh, went to Epcot. We, uh, we went through the International Gateway entrance, because I wasn't up for dealing with parking in Epcot. Mm-hmm. The, Disney's been opening the parking lots about 30 minutes in advance, mm-hmm. and I wasn't, I wasn't going to sit in the car while they figured out what was going on there. So I actually uh, Ubered over to the boardwalk and got dropped off, which, by the way, I learned you can't do, so, mm-hmm. so don't try it. Oh. <laughs> Can't, can't do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, you can tr- drop it off close and walk. So I, I go through the International Gateway. And the interesting thing was that Disney had cast members on either side of the International Gateway entrance applauding guests as they came in. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. And Disney's actually got cast members who now live in the United States but are from the countries in mm-hmm. Epcot. 
So, you know, Canadians who now live in the United States, people mm-hmm. from France. And they were holding up the flags of their respective nations as they were going in. And they were dressed in the standard Epcot uniform mm-hmm. of those nations. It was kind of nice to see the international cast out and about. Because we know that most of the international program folks had to go back. Mm-hmm. And all the college program kids had to go back as well, right? That they did. That they did. Yeah. But it was nice to see everybody. And this was, uh, so the 15th was the day after Bastille Day in France. So we wished everyone a, in France a belated, you know, Bastille Day. Mm-hmm. I don't, I like, Is there such a thing as a belated beheading day? Is that? <laughs> the nice thing is if you actually miss Bastille Day, they do have the head gift bag. <laughs> There's that too. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Canada Day was, was July 1st. So uh, mm-hmm. lots of well wishes all around. Oh, there we to, go. Uh, to our friends. Mm-hmm. But we uh, we went on a bunch of rides. Um, so uh, Living with the Land mm-hmm. looks exactly the same. They're obviously doing distancing of the boats. But that boat is run- – those boats are running at like 60 or 70% of capacity mm-hmm. just because of the layout. The plants look great. They've mm-hmm. got some new plants in there. There's actually a, a We Missed You sign in the greenhouse, which is kind of great. Um, but that looks good. Soren, uh, we went on. There are now plexiglass dividers between – parties. So the way that they've divided up the rows is there's a fixed group size mm-hmm. for seats. Like there's a group of two seats and then a plexiglass divider and then a group of three seats and a plexiglass divider and so on. I think up to groups of four mm-hmm. um, so that they can mix and match group sizes to fit in the plexiglass barriers uh, and still get as many people on the ride as possible. Mm-hmm. And Soren had a 45 minute wait most of the morning when we were there. Wow. Even with the three auditoriums? Uh, yeah, even all three were running and there was still a 45-minute wait. Epcot on Wednesday, first day, because mm-hmm. it, I think it was because it was Food One, felt the most busy of mm-hmm. any park that I've been to um, so far. Hollywood Studios yesterday mm-hmm. was a close second. And I don't mean it was busy like it felt crowded, mm-hmm. but it felt alive. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like this is something approximating what I feel normal could be during a pandemic in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. It felt good. It felt like it was vibrant. It felt, uh, like I said, alive. And it felt really good to be in the park too. It felt like there were lots of people having fun. Mm-hmm. So that was good. The one thing I will say about living with the land is, uh, you know, like when you're you're walking around the upper level of the, the land pavilion and then you take the stairs or the escalator down mm-hmm. by living with the land and then you sort of, sort of have to walk over to Soren. Mm-hmm. That walkway, I think they need some sort of directional navigational thing. Like maybe they need to navigate. The, they need to do directional stuff on the second floor mm-hmm. of the land pavilion, one way in and one way out. I think what you don't want is a bunch of people walking by each other very, very closely in that little walkway between living with the land. It's so interesting you say that because our good friend Carly was tweeting out photos, pointing out the exact same thing. It just oh, they- I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, that there were just sort of people just tended to accumulate because they didn't know which direction to go or they were waiting for their parties or that sort of thing. And it just was a little concerning to her. So, yeah, I mean, if you're wearing a mask and you're just walking by someone who's also wearing a mask, I mean, your, your risk is relatively low there. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be standing in that walkway mm-hmm. for any length of time. And, and, and we didn't, right? And I didn't see anyone doing it. But okay. it's the one place where I thought the congestion was maybe uh, a little. Uh, different than what we were expecting. So I think if they change that to one way in, one way out, mm-hmm. that might uh, work. Or they could just put, put up plexiglass dividers oh, you know, so along the middle of it too. They could do that too, right? Okay. Um, but they'll figure it out. I think mm-hmm. everywhere else it was it was really, really good. Soren, uh, same ride, every other seat in the car. So if you've got a party of four, you mm-hmm. can occupy one one ride vehicle. But if, it's, if you're in a party of two or three, you're basically going to get the car to yourself. Mm-hmm. Test track, 
same thing. Can't build your own car, so the pre-show stuff is gone. Also, over at Mission Space, um, no post-show stuff as well. And your your group gets its own gets its own capsule, so you're not going to be in a capsule with um, people who aren't in your group. Isn't that a fairly high touch ride experience? Did you see anybody cleaning vehicles afterwards? They or? were actually. So the same thing over at Millennium Falcon, which is, uh, and I'll talk about that too. Okay. Um, so hand sanitizers going in, coming out, mm-hmm. and then cast members with cleaning solution all over everything. I would still minimize my touching on that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was uh, lots. Of, I mean, you could actually smell the cleaning solution, okay. not only in the capsule, but like all around, like mm-hmm. walking in. Okay. So I think they're they're hosing everything down. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And uh, that's not my favorite ride. It gives me a headache every time I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't go on Frozen Ever After um, because we were doing food and wine at that point. But from what I understand, it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, the, the, the only difference, again, that, that, that I'm aware of is when you get into the interior queue space, you know, the very thing you described for Space Mountain and Big Thunder, the, the plexi that extends up. Yeah is in place there. And because it didn't go in, I'm not sure did they have they shortened the queue or is it is it extended with the plexiglass? To be honest, I think it's extended with the plexiglass. That makes sense. Because like um on Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run mm-hmm. and on you know Big Thunder, all those rides, they're trying to maximize the amount of space mm-hmm. that's indoors in the queue because again it's July and it's hot, but they're also trying to maintain social distancing. So the way to do that is to use every available spot in the queue while maintaining uh, separation for yeah. b- between like switchbacks. Okay. So that makes sense. It's a tough balancing act, but they're trying. It is. It is. And I think for, especially for something like, like frozen where so much of the queue extends out now. So it goes out of the ride down past acre shoes. It mm-hmm. sort of makes a right and heads towards China. Mm-hmm. And when I was there Wednesday, the line actually extended to the, to the border between Norway and China. I, as I understand it, the Royal Summerhus is closed. You would think that maybe they could extend some of the queue space there, at least temporarily. But it would cut off the entrance to the rest of the pavilion. Ah, uh, good point. If okay. it went that way, and you don't want to have people crossing paths if you don't have to. No, I get that. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that made sense. Yep. Uh, we went on the films in Canada and China, and they had marked areas to stand mm-hmm. blissfully. The people in Canada let us bring our uh, 30 ounces of ice water into the film <laughs> with us. So we actually got to cool off in Canada, which made me love the country even more. Uh, oh, it was great. China, same thing. Mark Darius to stand. Um, France, we didn't watch the film because it was Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't think it's great. But they had the you know usual every other row uh, thing marked off. And then uh, within each row, there's uh, four seats, three or four seats between each group. Mm-hmm. Also, we um, in terms of entertainment, so there's, we didn't see a lot of World Showcase um, entertainment. We did notice the Hat Lady, who normally play is the piano player, uh, who normally plays in the Rosen Crown Bar in the UK. She's actually out in the gazebo now, and sounds fantastic. Like I don't know what sort of amplifiers they're putting her her uh, piano or organ through, mm-hmm. but she she could play Woodstock, Jim. I mean, it was <laughs> it was loud. It was it was bold, bold, vibrant music out oh, there. Oh, very cool. Yeah, sounded really, really good. If you've ever, if you've ever wondered what like Carlos Santana would interpret um, Mary Poppins soundtrack, this is this is that. It's, uh, wow, that, that I can't tell you how many times I've <laughs> so you, how many times you've you puzzled at, at that question. Said, okay, wow, okay. Carlos Santana covered Mary Poppins. There yeah, we yeah. go. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing we did, obviously, uh, it's the start of food and wine. So uh, we we wanted to see what was going on with food and wine. And at this point, it's mostly the old flower and garden booths. Mm-hmm. So the newer food and wine booths are mostly not open. But the good news is, is that Disney did not just bring back everything that was at flower and garden back in March and just, you know, reheat it and, and do it again. They actually came out with a bunch of new dishes and some of them are fantastic. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we tried, by the way, Jim, have you had lunch? <sighs> I'm still getting over the chicken, Len. <laughs> Don't <laughs> hurt is, me. This, this isn't going to help, Jim. This isn't going to help. All right. Okay. So the first thing we tried was at Japan. It's uh, and by the way, shout out to my sister, Christina, who figured out what all the new things were on the menus so we could focus on. The new things. So the first new thing was uh, this uh, tempura donburi at Japan. It's two pieces of tempura shrimp and uh, with a slice of vegetable tempura with a, uh, a tensuyu dipping sauce. It tasted to me like a uh, like a sweet dipping sauce served over sticky sushi rice. And the bowl for this gym was was massive. This was a ton of food mm-hmm. for eight dollars, and it was delicious. In fact. It was so good. We went back and ordered another one Mm. after we tasted this first one because we were like, okay, we're not going to share this. There's no (laughs) point. It was, uh, I think that to me, the the sauce tasted like ponzu sauce. It was was more sweet, a little bit salty, but mostly sweet. Mm -hmm. But there was enough of it that it coated the rice and you could dip the the tempura shrimp and vegetables in it. It was amazing. The shrimp were sweet. The tempura had a little bit of a crunch on it as much as you could do in Florida when it's 97 degrees with 88% humidity, but it all tasted so good. Look, one of the best things I've had in, in food and wine or flower and garden in, in years. And so I, was, uh, I went back to order another one and a bunch of Disney managers were there. And I was like, this is fantastic. I'd also ordered the, um, the salmon flower pot. Have mm. you seen this? No, no. It's a small flower pot mm. um, filled with sushi rice with some seaweed and then fresh salmon and salmon roe and spinach mm-hmm. coated in a, uh, a poke sauce, which is like a, a soy miso glaze. So it's salty. Mm-hmm. Not, not super salty, but like, you know, soy sauce is salty. Mm-hmm. So you've got salmon, rice with a uh, salt flavor. And then you've got tempura shrimp and vegetables with rice and a sweet flavor. And the sweet and the salt together went really, really well. So I was talking to the... The managers over at Japan, by the way, we're the first people to buy anything in Japan mm-hmm. for Food and Wine 2020. Woo! Okay. Get that badge. Get that pin. Um, <laughs> and I was saying, you know, hey, this is this is a great balance. And yeah. uh, and the manager said, well, you know, Chef Ken mm-hmm. has been working on this basically since March to try and figure out what, what he was going to do for Food and Wine. And uh, and he will he, he was going to relay the uh, the comments onto him. But yeah, it was fantastic. We uh, were actually doing Instagram Live. Mm-hmm. on the touring place channel as we were doing this. And about an hour later, we went, uh, we walked by the Japan pavilion and there were people who had seen the Instagram live feed <laughs> and had lined up to order because of that. So you're welcome, uh, Disney. And thank you guys all for watching that. Uh, very cool. A couple of other things. Um, Mexico now has a ribeye taco, which I didn't realize. I, I'd probably gone like three weeks mm-hmm. without eating steak because, yep. you know, I was fascinated by the chicken. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it was amazing to have the ribeye. It was a little bit uh, fatty. It was you know, how, how ribeye is, mm-hmm. um, but it was it had just been cooked. They put a really nice so- sauce on it. They had fresh uh, corn tortillas, and it tasted like corn. Ah, it was amazing. And by the way, I had the 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 Japan stuff around eleven. Mm-hmm. I had the ribeye taco after six hours of eating, and it was still good, which tells you 
how good the ribeye must have been. Like if I'd had that first, it might mm-hmm. be my new favorite. It was uh, it was delightful. Came with a a, a quarter of a lime mm-hmm. wedge, so you can do the lime on top of it. Oh, it was great. Let's see. Flavors of the Caribbean has a new uh, dessert. It's called Flancocho, mm-hmm. where if I look at it, it's the word flank, F-L-A-N-C, and then ocho. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, we have eight flanks. What's a flank? <laughs> this is why I'm not a, I wasn't a language major in college, Jim. Kind of belabors the obvious, but please continue. <laughs> so so it, it's, a, uh, it's a passion fruit flan mm-hmm. with toasted coconut on it, and it was amazing. Like, I'm not a huge fan of flan. It's a consistency thing for me. Mm-hmm. But if I wasn't with Chrissy and otherwise, you know, being recorded eating this, I would have tried to fit it all in my mouth at once. <laughs> like it was, it was that good. The passion fruit was tart and bold and, you know, really, really good fruit flavor. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the flan was, it was almost yogurt like in its consistency. I mean, it was, it was flan. It was solid, right? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, it wasn't like jello. Mm-hmm. consistency. It was the right consistency for flan. And I'm not a huge fan of toasted coconut, but it added a little bit of texture mm-hmm. um, to this. That was really, really good. Yeah, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Also, the United States Pavilion has a, uh, we went to check because the, uh, we went to check the United States Pavilion because it did a seafood boil back mm-hmm. for Flower and Garden that I thought was one of the best things that they've done. It was, it's a relatively large bowl of seafood. So you get mussels, crawfish, shrimp, sausage, corn, and potatoes in a broth, uh, um, that it's, uh, a seafood broth for $8. And it's an amazing amount of food for eight bucks, mm-hmm. all cooked really well. But we were trying to figure out, number one, how do they, how do they ensure that you get one of each ingredient or mm-hmm. you know, two, two mussels and two shrimp and three potatoes? Like how do they ensure you get all the right amount of stuff in each bowl. And it turns out they have actually have these little plastic nets that they put the food in to cook it. So it looks like uh, your food is being cooked in a hairnet or <laughs> it does. No other word for it, Jim. In a hairnet. But they cook, they, they place the hairnets in the pots of broth mm-hmm. so that you, you're guaranteed to get, so when, when they're filling the, the, the hairnets, mm-hmm. you're, they guarantee that you're going to get the right amount of each thing. And then they cook it and then they take the hairnet out, they open it up they put it, the contents in the bowl, and then they put the broth on top of the bowl, which is super clever to me. Like I thought that was a really clever, no, clever idea. Definitely. I, again, I'm just having a little trouble getting past the the hairnet visual. But but again, if I, you want to say fishnet, there fish, we go. Fish, fish, there, fish thank you. Better. better. Okay. okay you better. <laughs> Aaron, see if you can edit all that around. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason why we went was back in uh, at the beginning of uh, Flower and Garden, they had a barbecue plate. Mm-hmm for flowering garden. And now it's lobster season because it's July. So they had a lobster roll out. So this is $8 and 25 cents. Um, it's about a, I would say a six inch long uh, lobster roll with uh, garlic aioli on it mm-hmm. and, uh, and lobster and uh, sorry, a butter, butter mayo aioli. It's not garlic, but tons of lobster tasted very sweet. I'm not sure eight twenty five is the right price point for that. Mm-hmm. Like if you would have said it was six twenty five, I'd have been like bargain. Okay, mm-hmm. now we're, at six twenty five, it's a bargain. At seven dollars, I would have been like, okay, that's fair for what you got. Eight twenty five seems a little bit high for me on the price point, but everything was cooked perfectly. I mean, flavor was there. The lobster roll had been toasted so that it was crunchy. Mm-hmm. It was buttery. Everything was great. I just questioned the price point on it, but uh, okay. I expect that to be around for a couple of months, and then I mm-hmm. think we're gonna in the fall we'll see barbecue come back. 
Given that makes sense. Regal Eagle and all that. that, that yeah, certainly makes sense. So. <laughs> and Regal Eagle was open, by the way. I uh, I did an Instagram video where we captured them starting up the outdoor barbecue grill. <laughs> so you've got this white smoke coming out of um, of the grill, and my comment was that the United States has just elected a new pope. I I knew you'd go there. <laughs> you knew you do it. Do it. No, wait. It's just the it's just the barbecue. Uh, okay. <laughs> And then uh, finally, uh, China has a new chicken dumpling mm-hmm. and a new beef bao bun. Uh, my sister Christina loved both of these things. I thought the chicken dumpling was good. It came with a uh, pickled cabbage slaw on the side, which was delightful. This was literally the last thing I ate during the day. Mm-hmm. So I think I was actually full at this point. So I, this was sort of on the, in the middle of my list. The, uh, the beef bao bun is like uh, beef and peppers. And tons of beef on this bao bun. Like... As much of as or more than you got with the ribeye taco in Mexico. It was like wow. plenty of beef. Enough for two people to sample easily on it. And the bao bun was was cooked really, really well. I think at this point I was just I was just full. But uh but I would, I would definitely think you should try it. Heat index wise, how bad was it at Epcot when you were doing all this? It was a hundred and five. At one point, it was 99 degrees, and then, thank God, it started raining. So, if mm-hmm. you listen to our Bandcamp exclusive, mm-hmm. Chris and I actually record a little bit in the rain mm-hmm. in Epcot, and the rain actually made it better. You would think walking around in the rain in Florida is miserable. Mm-hmm. It was way better than being in the heat. I much prefer the clouds in the rain to the heat. It was, oh, it was brutal. Definitely, but, but wow, thank you for, for your service. I mean, just eating yeah. that much food in that much heat. And the thing is, too, we were we were drinking water. Like, I, I had, I'm not joking, a gallon of water in the six hours I was in uh, Epcot, and it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. It was crazy how hot it is. Oh. Yeah, also, um, so we got in the Uber afterwards mm-hmm. uh, yeah, to go back, and my Uber driver had, yeah, you know, the, the uh, sort of a roll-up plastic divider. So I get in the car and the plastic divider was up. We're all wearing masks and he mm-hmm. was, it was a rather large car. So we were you know, pretty far apart, but he rolled down the, the plastic barrier, not because of the coronavirus, but because mm-hmm. I smelled that bad. <laughs> like you, he, I can actually see him smell me in the mirror. <laughs> that tells you how much I was sweating. And I wasn't even offended. I'm like, you know what? I offend myself mm-hmm. as well, sir. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> at one point during your day at Epcot, I, f- I forget which of the uh, the listeners of the show you ran into, but he he did the social distancing photo with you in the background, I think at the UK Pavilion. And again, I just want to pause here to the effect of your hair. <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed yourself getting any stronger? Can you bench print scars? Because it really kind of looks, the you know, those Roman, the, the wreath of olives, you know, the, the leaves. Yeah, that people it looks appear. like that. My yeah. hair is my hair is its own celebrity now. Yeah, yeah, it's going to need an agent. Yeah, just just wanted to just an update on your superpowers, whether or not they've increased. So, so uh, uh, no joke. I was in the studios yesterday, and uh, listeners walked by and said, "Hi, Len. I love your hair." <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That's the only thing they said. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, so I was in the studios yesterday. Mm-hmm. I um, I got there about uh, nine thirty. No problem parking. Mm-hmm. Uh, or getting in, they were actually running the um, running the Skyliner from about nine twenty oh. on. So a uh, breeze getting through security here. They're using the new scanning technology where you keep almost all of your stuff in your in your bag except for uh, metal. So you just mm-hmm. hold that out sort of in front of you as you're walking, um, and just literally walked right through everything. It was fantastic, mm-hmm. very easy to get into the park. 
I headed over to Animation Courtyard about 9.50 to try and get a Rise of the Resistance boarding group. Mm-hmm. My friend Seth Kuberski was in the park as well, and our agreement was we'd both try and get each other mm-hmm. into our boarding groups and we'd see what happened. So right at 10 o'clock, boarding group started. There were about 10 people in Animation Courtyard because nothing's going on in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got through the first screen and then MDE crashed mm-hmm. twice. Uh, um, and then by the time I got back in, Seth had already gotten me in a boarding group. We were boarding group 39. Okay. Now, the interesting thing about the boarding group now, though, is this mm-hmm. updated the app so that it'll tell you approximately how long you're going to wait mm-hmm. until your boarding group is called. So at 10 a.m. for boarding group 39, they told us that our, it was going to be about 295 minutes, so roughly six hours. Wow. So we would expect four o'clock, right? And that's new because before they had they they were not giving estimates about mm-hmm. how long it was going to take to get in boarding groups. So we had six hours, five or six hours to kill in the studios, which is good because uh, we wanted to go on uh, you know, a bunch of all the new rides. Mm-hmm. We went on to Slinky Dog, and the line for Slinky Dog, as you can imagine, now extends all the way out of Toy Story Land. It's still super popular to get into. In fact, when we um, by the time we had got our boarding groups the line for Slinky Dog was actually down to Voyage of the Little Mermaid in Animation Courtyard. The good news is is that it went pretty fast. Okay. Well, I would imagine with the social distancing and all that. Yeah, that's it. It's not, it's not like the, the line was completely full. It's, it, it, mm-hmm. it's six-foot increments between groups. That's, mm-hmm. how, that's how long the line was. Um, okay. Similarly, the line for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway mm-hmm. went through the indoor queue, mm-hmm. the outdoor queue, and then started spiraling around the central hub of Disney's Hollywood studios. And it extended, I would say it took up probably, you know, that, that big circular center area mm-hmm. in front of the Chinese theater. I would say half of that, maybe two thirds of it was filled with line mm-hmm. at 10 AM when the, uh, when the park opened and I saw the line go anywhere from 75 to 125 minutes for runaway railway. But in reality, it was about a third of that. Like, okay. I don't think anybody waited more than, you know, 40 minutes uh, for the ride. The the big thing again, though, is it's in the sun. Mm-hmm. And if you're going there in the morning, yeah. you've got the humidity burning off from the night before. Mm-hmm. Plus the, the sun from the day. So the morning is kind of miserable. Okay. So that was the big thing for Runaway Railway. Also, they're not doing the pre-show. Which I understand, but uh, to lose that effect, just kind of a heartbreaker. But Yeah, you lose both the effect and you lose the song. Yeah, yeah, and that was the uh, that was the big thing. But yeah. I, we understand why. Mm-hmm. Also, um, so I rode uh, Runaway Railway with uh, Seth Kuberski, my friend, mm-hmm. and Seth actually pointed out. Did you know this, Jim? That there's a B story in Runaway Railway involving Pluto. So there's the the A story, right? The right. the primary story mm-hmm. in Runaway Railway is Mickey and Minnie trying to save the train. Mm-hmm. But if you look carefully in each scene, mm-hmm. and there's a a B story, a secondary mm-hmm. story where Pluto is trying to hold on to a basket full of hot dogs. Have you have you noticed that yet? I was told about this, but I was warned that primarily your vehicle, when it's it's doing its dance in each of the rooms, is trying to keep Mickey and Minnie front of brain, so to speak. You know, you're kind of right. aimed in that direction. Whereas if you're you're looking to follow Pluto, you you do have to to turn. You do have to make an effort to find him in the in each of the rooms, right? You do have to look around a little bit for Pluto. The good thing is is that the snippets with Pluto mm-hmm. are generally after the main action has happened mm-hmm. with Mickey and Minnie mm-hmm. in each scene. 
So it's not like you're trying to, do, to watch two things at once. I don't know. I get that. Um, I do. So if you're going to write it a couple of times, mm-hmm. definitely look out for Pluto. Also, did you know that there's a, uh, a sea story involving a crab? I was just told about this this week. <laughs> you got to love Imagineering. It's not enough to, to put you in a room with a tornado. It's like, now, not only find Pluto, find the crab. Yeah. So, so there's a tiny crab in supposedly in each scene. Mm-hmm. Um in there uh, as well. So, uh, so I actually went back and rode that several times. Mm-hmm. Towards the end of the day, the lines were, were much lower. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, and it's it's so much fun. It's still, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a classic for years. Oh, no, no, no doubt. But leave it to Seth to find the sea yeah. story. <laughs> exactly. Do you notice the crab? Yeah. <laughs> like, so. like, yeah, it's like, like Seth, how do you, how many times have you ridden this that you, that you recognize all of that? Yeah, it was fabulous. Seth at this point, I think, has the equivalent of frequent flyer miles on Mickey and Minnie's Runaway right. Railway. You know? <laughs> right. He's got his own car on it. Right up front with Goofy. And we did get a chance to uh, to ride in both the front, the middle, and the back mm-hmm. on it. And the, the great thing about being in the back when we rode was we got more of the end scene of the underwater part. Mm-hmm. Remember, there's a, uh, there's a scene where... Like sort of the big middle part of the ride where you're uh, in, uh, you come into a giant room and it's a volcano mm-hmm. and then the volcano erupts and you end up going over a waterfall and then you're underwater. If you're in the, if you go into the volcano scene first, mm-hmm. you get more volcano and less water mm-hmm. underwater at the end. So, um, but if you go last into the volcano room, you only get a little bit of volcano, but you get more underwater. Mm-hmm. So the advantage of being in the back of the train is that you actually get to see what happens with Pluto. Then when I think when you're in the first car, you can't. What fascinates me is that you're in the volcano room. You then move to the position that sells you on the falling over the waterfall effect. Falling over the waters, yeah, which and is it, a great effect. Absolutely. But then you move back into the volcano space, which is now using the projection technology to put you underwater. And I'm just I'm just fascinated by it's the exact same rock work in the exact same position, but you buy that yeah. you're in a totally different environment. And oh, I did, yeah. yeah. First time I wrote it, I thought we were in a different room. Yep, yep. So. Yeah, it's a it's a really great use of space and just mm-hmm. the art direction on this, the pacing, the jokes, the visuals, it all comes together so well. And remember, this is Charita Carter, the woman who is in charge of the yeah. Splash Mountain Princess and the Frog redo. So you know the bar has been set really, really high. Yeah, it's she uh, Charita did a, a fantastic job on that. I can't wait to see what she does on uh, on Splash Mountain. Same thing here. So then I uh, walk through Animation Courtyard. The only thing open in Animation car- Courtyard is the Star Wars launch bay. Mm-hmm. And they don't have characters, obviously, because we're not doing character greetings. Mm-hmm. So it's completely empty right now. The only reason you need to go into Animation Courtyard maybe is for the air conditioning in Star Wars launch bay. But even then, you know, there are, there are other places to go. I, I think because Voyage of the Little Mermaid is closed and Disney Junior Dance Party is closed, that section of the park needs equity performers more than anything else. Speaking of air conditioning, though, I did see the shot you took of yourself in Muppet Vision 3D with your oh yeah 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 with your Potato Land mask on. So thank you, Patty, for creating those again. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah, I got tons of combo. Obviously, you have to wear the Potato Land mask on the day that you go to the studio. So I had it washed the night before. Actually, I have two Potato Land masks: one in blue, oh. uh, one in brown. Um, mm-hmm. So I wore that in the morning when I was riding uh, Runaway Railway. But also Muppets, I sat completely up front mm-hmm. in the first row, which I never do mm-hmm. for Muppets. And I think that's actually the best row to sit in because you get to see what's going on with the penguins in the oh, orchestra. Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, yeah. I, it was, 
recently have been corresponding with a gentleman who programmed all of the penguins and and literally <laughs> of course of course you have Jim <laughs> but what the fascinating thing is that he revealed that they'd actually made both sets of animatronics because at that point you know the idea was that the original Muppet Vision was going to open in 1990 at the, the studios and then in 91 it was going to open at Disneyland and then they put them in storage and they didn't come out for a decade until they finally put the Muppet Vision attraction into DCA. But he oh. was the guy who who did the, the penguins and actually was was very happy that I noticed that the penguins constantly are watching the movie and commenting right. among themselves like, wah, 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 you know, so. Yeah, uh, so, uh, so here's a tip for yeah. listeners who are going to the studios mm -hmm. soon. If you go see Muppets, and you should because the air conditioning is fabulous, mm -hmm. sit in the very front if you can. Yep. You get to see more of the uh, more of the show. Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. Jim, the other thing I want to talk about is, and I texted you about this when it happened, mm -hmm. my lunch at Backlot Express. <laughs> <laughs> because this is a lesson in what to do right as a manager. Mm -hmm. um, so I so I had lunch at Backlot Express. Mm -hmm. and I decided to eat there because when I got hungry, I was at Star Tours. Uh, the adventures continue. And I wanted to eat and I was like super hungry. So I mobile ordered because you have to mobile order now in Disney parks. Uh, you know, I had my, I had a hamburger, which again, I, I, I haven't eaten meat in, in so long. Then two days in a row I did. Mm -hmm. Cheeseburger, fries, Coke. My order was, was ready almost instantly because there were six other people mm -hmm. in uh, Backlot Express. I walked in past 18 rows of hand sanitizers. I picked up my order. Um, the only thing they're doing differently now is obviously other than mo mobile ordering, you can't fill your own drinks. So there's mm -hmm. someone there to give you your drink over by the condiment station. But once you go to the condiment station, you can go left or right to sit down. I went to the right and there was nobody in my little area mm -hmm. uh, in Backlot Express. So I had a table for six because all the tables are pretty big mm -hmm. there. So I'm in, I'm in a corner with the table and I'm in a corner of the table. So I'm as far away from everyone else as you can get with... Uh, and I have a walls on two sides of me. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm eating my, uh, my lunch and uh, a manager comes out with cast members mm -hmm. and they were training the cast members on how to clean Backlot Express. And the manager started off, Jim, with the most pleasant voice. And mm -hmm. she was explaining how to clean the tables to the cast members. It should have been, Jim, a Mary Poppins song. It was all about getting all the nooks and crannies and making sure that the seats and, and backs were wiped down and then the tabletops and then the sides of the tables, right? Mm -hmm. But it was all super pleasant and very thorough. Like, get every nook, get every cranny, don't miss a spot. Like, if we were outdoors, I think birds would have landed on our shoulders as she was as she was saying this. Like, like literally, like... Uh, Julie Andrews could sing this mm -hmm. and it would be a PSA for restaurant workers everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like beautiful. So they, they do that and the, they go through it and the cast members are, you know, fine. And then a cast member said, well, what do I do if, if a guest doesn't want to sit with their group or if they try and pull a chair? Mm -hmm. I think the example was, what if a guest wants to pull a chair from one table and bring it to another? And at that point, Jim, Mary Poppins was replaced with Sheriff Buford T. Justice <laughs> from Walking Tall. Like, like the, the personality switch mm -hmm. was so fast that I, I half expected an announcer in the background to say, ask your doctor if Xanax is right for you. Like, like <laughs> if there was a baseball bat prop on the wall, oh. she would have started thumping it in her hand mm -hmm. as she was saying. And, and, and so the rule was mm -hmm. absolutely not. If you, if a guest tries to bring a chair mm -hmm. from another table, like to, to make a table of six, a mm -hmm. table of seven, 
don't do that because now you've done a, a bunch of things wrong. You've mm-hmm. now you people can't walk by you uh, in a social in a socially distant way. Mm-hmm. You've now decreased the distance between this now extra chair sitting off you know on the side of one table and the other tables around it. And plus, you don't know now when that person puts that chair back which tables have been cleaned and which and which chairs have been cleaned and which mm-hmm. which chairs haven't. So don't do it. And then the the manager said, if there's ever any problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Your job is not to fix the problem. Your job is to come get me and I will fix the problem. And she went over like mask compliance. Like what if somebody doesn't want to wear a mask when they're going mm-hmm. out to the restroom and coming back? Mm-hmm. Just come get me. Right. You, know, you can you, you might more you, you can tell them to that they need to wear a mask, but come get me. Right. Come mm-hmm. get a manager if there's a problem. And I thought that was it was great from a management perspective because, you know, as a manager, that's the thing you're supposed to do. You're supposed to you're supposed to remove the barriers and obstacles to the people who work for you from getting their jobs done. And if their jobs are making sure that the tables are cleaned and everything, uh, everything is sanitized, you remove all the barriers to them that prevent them from doing that. And if there's an issue that's not directly related to their job, your job as the manager is to solve that problem, right? Let them do their jobs. You do yours. So it was, it was just a a great little five minute vignette about how Disney is handling this whole thing. And it was, it was just fabulous to see. I was really, really, really encouraged by that. But the <laughs> Jim, the shift in tone. <laughs> I'm, I'm drinking a soda, like and I'm halfway through. I'm like, I, I don't know if I should be listening to this, but it's fascinating. And I, yeah. But I didn't want to make eye contact with her because it was, uh, frankly, I was intimidated at that at that point. <laughs> this is the thing I constantly stress about. You know, when you go to the parks, with it, you really want to do the fly on the wall thing. You don't. Oh my god, I would love to hear more stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, it was. It was just. Great management mm-hmm. in five minutes. Mm-hmm. It was it was perfect. So um, yes, yeah, so I had a great and actually the food was was really good too. The fries were on point mm. at Backlot Express. So so that was really really good. So now uh, I've recorded um, two live in park tours for the studios in Epcot. Those are Bandcamp exclusives now. So if you're a subscriber, mm-hmm. you can uh, go into Bandcamp and download those. And I'll do uh, probably Animal Kingdom over the weekend. Oh, very cool! Can't wait. All right, Jim. Another news: I was in uh, when I was in Epcot. I went by the Epcot Experience, mm-hmm. uh, and shout out to our friends at Blog Mickey who uh, who I think published this first. But mm-hmm. there's some changes to the Epcot Experience, are there yeah, not, Jim? Yeah, they are. In fact, I don't know if you've ever seen the the, the video that Parent did for the the Mary Poppins experience, where the screens filled with cherry blossoms and his, his his little girl who evidently was a huge Mary Poppins fan lost her mind. It's like, Oh my God, a Mary Poppins experience and, and pedals. And so somebody's got to break it to this little girl that that project has been paused along with spaceship earth. Right. Right. So there, uh, there used to be scenes in the Epcot experience show mm-hmm. that talked about the spaceship earth redo into mm-hmm. storytelling, Disney storytelling. Yep. And there was a dedicated segment around the Mary Poppins attraction that was going to be built in the UK. And mm-hmm. the news is that those two segments are now cut mm-hmm. from the film. Interestingly, in the middle of the Epcot experience is mm-hmm. a, a three-dimensional building set of all of the things that are going around in Epcot. And mm-hmm. Spaceship Earth is the centerpiece mm-hmm. of that, and it's still there. And the Mary Poppins stuff in the UK mm-hmm. is still there as well, but it's not highlighted. Yeah. When Bob Chapek initially announced 
the Spaceship Earth redo at the D23 Expo last August, you know, mm-hmm. it was a very big deal. You know, they, they showed that concept art for Egypt and how they were going to use light in there in a way that they never were going to, you know, or never had before in a Disney attraction. And so everybody was like, oh, wow, huge redo of Spaceship Earth. And I think you and I were among the first to kind of put out, it's like, not so big as you might imagine and, and certainly won't take a year. But what made it easy for both Spaceship Earth and Mary Poppins to move off the table is they were in design flux. Right. Yeah, Mary Poppins, we, we never really even knew what the Mary Poppins attraction was going to be. Well, you know, and to be honest, the poor Imagineers who were working on it also didn't know. You know, remember right. that, you know, there was the whole version of the the flat rides that were in the park across from Cherry Tree Lane that was supposed to be built. Then there was a meet yeah. and greet. And then it was a question of, is it three meet and greets, you know, like Anna and Elsa in the summer house? Or is it is it two? And the sad part of it is because they did not have a strong concept that was locked. And it was easy to pause. Likewise, with Spaceship Earth, because of the, the same thing. It's just sort of like they hadn't locked it. The one that they don't say pause, but they're reconfiguring it, redesigning it, is the Festival Center. Right. This was the three-story round structure that was going to be on the edge of Future World where it meets World Showcase. Mm-hmm. And Disney's now said that it's not paused, but they're going to go back and rethink or reimagine it. Yeah. And I got to tell you, the guys who work events are not happy about this decision. You know, they had already walked this around to a lot of Disney's corporate partners. Oh, really? There's a number of folks who have already booked parties in this space for their conventions in 2022, 2023, that Disney's going to have to do make goods on. Because the idea was you're three stories up, you know, and you have this amazing view that no one's ever had before of Epcot's nighttime extravaganza. Remember, you know, and harmonious is supposed to you know have been up and running well past this period so right that one they've already made promises in a number of different directions so it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the festival center because that wasn't just being built for the public that was right in much the same kind of you know with a uh, world show place you know how that went from a public space to a private space very very quickly world show place was actually open for um for festival stuff um, yeah. they had it yeah. four booths in it and it felt it felt good i mean that i forgot how enormous mm-hmm. oh, the yeah. inside of world show place is but i felt uh, you know absolutely fine in there with uh, with four booths and okay. and people eating but going back to the uh, to the festival center gym do you think that the rethinking of it was it primarily budget reasons or was it the fact that you Disney's rethinking three stories of people eating food indoors that that gave them pause well now remember the third floor of this third floor was open yeah you know going to be a a, basically an island in the sky garden space my understanding is the pushback with the festival center is it's like look we lost four months of construction time and right. we're, we're going to have to rush to get Moana done. We're going to have to rush to get our new old Communicore, you know, area up and running. Because remember, the clock is still ticking on the, on the 50th. 50th anniversary. Yeah. And just the whole notion that we're going to have a construction site right in the middle of Epcot on the 50th anniversary. It's guaranteed now that they will. Yeah. So it's like, no, we have to take this off the table for the 50th. We'll pull down the construction phase, we'll pave over, and hopefully at some point in the the future, we'll get to revisit this idea. But again, that's the whole notion of 
uh, you know, face it, Mary Poppins and Spaceship Earth are, are paused, postponed, whatever the language is. Festival Center, when they use the word like redone, that means, okay, come 2022, we'll revisit this idea and hopefully we'll be in a better space economically and we can get this thing built. Because again, you know, the events people wanted this bad. Is there going to be a time where they, because they've already demolished a lot of that fountain space in the middle of future world. Is the, is the idea that they're just going to leave the construction walls up for the next three years, or is it going to be, we're going to knock everything down. We're going to, we're going to plant some sod and it's going to be, you know, open space that people can walk through just so you don't have to see construction walls for the next couple of years. I like, think what, is, there, is there an interim plan? You've pretty much zeroed it with what you said there, that what they believe is good show is like, look, if we're not going forward with construction, go in, pave, make this look as clean and professional as possible, lose the construction walls. Because again, remember, when Harmonious is finally up and running, Epcot Center is the center of the 50th anniversary celebration. And you just, mm. you cannot be sending people around construction walls, particularly at the end of the night, if we ever get back to Walt Disney World's traditional traffic patterns, you're going to have 20, 30,000 people around you know world showcase lagoon watching harmonious and the fact that you then have this walled off construction site i mean think of it as a blockage in the aorta it's like no that's not going to fly so you know you saw a construction fence go up they did the prep work it's coming down just anticipate that sometime between now in in december if the parks stay open you know which in florida (laughs) We'll see. Uh, I don't think they're going to close. Well, I mean, I'll be I'll be more surprised if they close than if they. I am knocking on the wood table here right now, yeah, Len. Okay. For a variety of reasons. Okay, um, Jim. In other news, Disney also announced that no surprise here, Stitch's Great Escape uh, closure is permanent. Mm-hmm. That happened two years ago. I think we all assumed it was permanent. Yep. But also, uh, Primeval World is closing permanently, and Rivers of Light yeah. is closing permanently. Primeval World. Uh, moderate supply, surprise there. I think mm. they, uh, the liability on the, the ride mechanism yeah. is too much. Uh, but Rivers of Light, Jim, that's what, two years old? Oh, yeah. And if you think about the money that was spent on creating that stadium space, coupled with the years and years and years of R&D, because remember, this project started off as a street parade that, and eventually became you know, the show that was held out on Discovery Lagoon. While we've seen the last of the float, you know, the boats, likewise, right. the, the floating animals, there is supposedly a plan that at twilight each night, they're going to float, float the lotus elements of the, the show out under the water and have them unfold and light up and spray water up in the air. So it'll, it'll be a nice kinetic in what arguably, you know, again, is a big blank void otherwise. But yeah, in a lot of ways, this is a heartbreaker. It's an expensive show to maintain, and it just did not deliver the goods. It didn't. And that was the thing. I mean, it was uh, in our guest surveys, it was a clear number four yeah. in, uh, in among Disney's four nighttime spectacles, mm-hmm. right? The show never really, never really found its voice, mm-hmm. I don't think. And you know, uh, early in the year before uh, all the pandemic stuff happened, mm-hmm. they had tried to make the show more relevant to people mm-hmm. by bringing in Disney characters. Yeah. And I maintain, like, when Disney starts adding characters to things, it's a sign that they're out of ideas mm-hmm. and, and they're desperate. We had heard from folks in entertainment, the notion was that, you know, they were only going to keep the show long enough 
you know, running long enough so that they could effectively write it off that, okay, we got our full value out of it and then create a new <laughs> and, show. And, and that the, the pandemic allows them to write off so many more things. <laughs> there we go. So it's like, okay. But yeah, don't be surprised if, again, we get on the other side of the pandemic that you do see a new nighttime show. Again, they, they built that arena and they fully intend to use that arena in the future, but they just need to find the right show for this space. So, All right. That makes sense. All right, Jim, one more thing. Uh, and I texted you this yesterday while I was in the studios, but the uh, Themed Entertainment Association uh, theme park report came out. Uh, and this report comes out every year, usually in June or July. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, the, big, the big thing that people like you and I want to know in that report is it gives attendance estimates mm-hmm. for all the major theme parks in the world, including the Disney theme parks. And this year's numbers show that Disneyland got uh, an attendance change with Galaxy's Edge of exactly 0%. Also, Hollywood Studios got a 2% bump with uh, with Galaxy's Edge. Now, granted, uh, the lands weren't open mm-hmm. uh, the entire part of the year. But, Jim, you look at those numbers, 0% and 2% is got to be a disappointment for Disney. Oh, no, no, absolutely. And especially when you think about out in California, the, the money with it spent was spent on Project Pixie Dust to make it that much easier for folks to get to the back of the park, coupled with they built that brand new Pixar Pals parking structure right next door to Mickey and Friends. You know, yeah. 6,500 additional parking spots because they felt, oh, you know, the world's going to come to this place. And, you know, to have the exact same attendance, oh, that's a heartbreaker. Got to be a lot of people... It's like, what do we do wrong? You know, is it is it the promotion? Is it the campaign? Or there's also, you know, a program already in place. The Avengers Campus is being built because the feel was that the crowds would be so huge at Disneyland, we had to create a brand new artificial reason to send people over to Animal Kingdom? Or excuse me, uh, California Adventure? Wow. Like, <laughs> yeah, 0%. And obviously this year is going to be uh, really hard to figure out because of the, uh, the shutdowns, but... Uh. Yeah, 0%. Oof. And we, we've talked we've talked at length on the show about how the way that Disney rolled out the reservation systems for Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland for the first month sort of dampened the enthusiasm. It did. It did. People seeing it. A lot of stuff didn't didn't go right from them there. But again, at the end of the day, you spend a, a, a billion mm-hmm. a, a billion dollars or whatever to uh, to develop a entire new land on mm-hmm. both coasts dedicated to one of the world's most beloved film franchises. And you get nothing in terms of attendance out of it. I don't, I, and again, I know that it was only part of the year and there were some reservation problems and there's a pandemic, pandemic and everything, but still. Yeah. Right. Zero percent is not, is not what they're looking for there. That there, There's no way to spin that. Some interesting meetings being held in the Team Disney building. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim is going to tell us about Disneyland's hyperhighway, the way that the area around the parks was redesigned for easier access. All right, Jim, speaking of Disneyland, mm-hmm. you tell us all about how Disneyland redid its external areas to handle crowds when they decided to build a second theme park, Disney's California Adventure, right? Yeah. Early 90s of the Brad's Disney, you know, was working on Westcott and the, the two different versions of, of Westcott. And, and ultimately, that was a $3 billion project that was coming on the heels of Euro Disneyland, which wasn't making its numbers. So 
They shut that down, and on July 17, 1996, the company announces its plans for California Adventure, which is a $1.4 billion project, but that includes the theme park, the Grand Californian Resort and Spa, and the downtown Disney District in Anaheim. They announced that in July of 1996, but the plan is that they're going to have all of this open in time for January of 2001. All right, so the clock is ticking. In order for them to make that deadline, Disneyland's old parking lot has to close by January of 1998. So that gives the, the DCA team 18 months to lock their plans for the entire project. The key difference between Disneyland and Walt Disney World, when I face it, Walt Disney World, uh, it does have hotels outside of property, you know, out on, on, you know, 192 and, you know, folks coming in from international, that sort of thing. But you've got 34 on-site hotels, 20 of which are owned and operated by Disney. So it is kind of a different mix from a, a transportation point of view, from what time guests arrive at the park and that sort of thing. Whereas Disneyland... There are only the three on-site hotels. At this point, there's only two. There's the Pan Pacific, uh, soon to be renamed you know, Paradise Pier, and, of course, the Disneyland Hotel, and eventually there'll be the, the Grand Californian. But most of the guests who are coming to the park each day, they're either Southern California locals who are driving in from home uh, and using their own cars, so they needed to create, you know, and if you're going to build a new park in the parking lot, you obviously need different places for folks to park and we'll get to that that massive mickey and and friends parking structure in a later episode of disney dish but the other part of this puzzle is the fact that a lot of people who are coming to disneyland each day are staying in hotels in anaheim and buena park with the majority of them on Harbor Boulevard or on cross streets off of Harbor Boulevard. Yeah, walking distance. That's it, exactly. Okay. But for a lot of these resorts, they offer uh, complimentary transportation, uh, you know, over to Disneyland. But the thing is that some hotels have a a giant-sized bus, some motels have a van, some mid-sized resorts have their tram. So it's it's you have all of these different vehicles with all of these different pass you know passenger loads coming into the space, disgorging passengers in the morning and and then bringing over smaller groups during the day, and then of course at night when the park's empty, everybody is coming out and expecting you know they want transportation back to their hotel. And so the Imagineer is new going into this as they were sussing out their plans for Disney's California Adventure and the Anaheim's downtown Disney District. Um, They had to make it easier for these guests staying at these offsite hotels and motels to get to the theme parks as well as to the new, you know, the resort soon to open retail dining entertainment district. I mean, 200,000 square feet of retail coupled with 17 acres of cityscape and landscape. Len, we're talking about a space that's actually bigger than St. Mark's Square over in Rome. And Disney knew that this was kind of outside of their area of expertise. So they turned to this this outfit, Martha Schwartz and Partners. Uh, They were an urban design film that specializes in tailoring previously used spaces uh, into things that a rapidly expanding resort can actually use. So this is an important point because we we all know that, you know, Disney maintains the property that they own, but... Mm -hmm. But Disney also maintains some of the landscaping on the streets around yes. Disneyland, which mm-hmm. are which are city structures. 
So like the, the medians of the streets around Disneyland are also maintained by Disney. That was a big part of the initial Westcott negotiation. We're going to spend this $3 billion on this brand new theme park. But the problem is that, you know, we look outside of Disneyland and there's all of this signage that's weird sizes, or or for that matter, it's kind of a sea of asphalt. And we want a sense of arrival. We want a sense of occasion. And they convinced the city of Anaheim to get on board with the notion of the garden district. I mean, for example, now when you drive around Disneyland and the very thing you're describing, the lush medians with all of this greenery or the palm trees or, or the fact that all of the the signage is of uniform size. That was something right. that, that Disney rammed down the throat of Anaheim back during a time when the Anaheim City Council was was willing to bend, and that doesn't exist anymore. The Martha Schwartz people, they're tasked with creating a brand new transportation center on the east side of Disneyland Esplanade, and with the idea that it was going to service all of the hotels and motels off of Harbor Boulevard. And so to get a sense of the real design channel challenge they're facing, they sent a research team down. And then, Len, you'd love this. They stood there for months, <laughs> counting the bus traffic, when the buses, trams, and vans would arrive each day, which routes they typically traveled, what directions they approached these land resort from, uh, how many passengers on average they dropped off, busiest times of day versus uh, slowest. And then they added in variables like, the turning radius of the largest bus currently on the market. Right. What was the maximum number of bus stops they were going to need to accommodate all of these offsite hotels, the motels, the busiest time of day? And then when they had that info in hand, which in turn is supplemented by stuff they got from Caltrans about, you know, when was traffic heaviest out on, on I-5, which in turn would impact traffic on Harbor Boulevard. They then make an informational trip down to Walt Disney World, which had, at that time, the third largest bus fleet in Florida, right behind Miami and Jacksonville. They still do, actually. And then it's a question of, okay, so what what makes a Disney-quality transportation center? So now they plant their team at the Ticket and Transportation Center uh, by Seven Seas Lagoon, and then they learn all about how crucial it is to have strong colors uh, when you're trying to visually cue large groups of people on the ways that they should properly move through a large space. And and hmm. it turns out we saw Disney institute that. Remember how when you come off of, you know, I-4 and you go from the green government-issued highway signs to suddenly on Disney property, you the bright red and the bright purple. Right. That actually helps people that much more. It's, it's a different color palette. It, it gets their attention. It makes them that much easier to pay attention to where they need to go on Disney property. So with all of this info in hand, the Martha uh, Schwartz people, they come back and they begin working on the east side Disney Esplanade, which now becomes known as the Hyper Highway. And the idea here, again, is to create a space that through the strong use of color and easy, recognizable design elements would make it possible for tens of thousands of day guests um, many of who've never been to Disneyland before, to move quickly and safely to the resort Central Plaza, which is where the ticket booths and the actual entrance to DCA and Disneyland are located. But the idea was to create a space that you didn't really have to read uh, Science Center. It, you know, you were almost instinctually driven. And so... Okay. The way they did this is they used shape language. I mean, for example, shapes that we're all familiar with, uh, like a traffic cone, but they altered it. They, they made it twice as big as a normal traffic cone, and then they painted it green. And there was just enough, to, you know, it's like, okay, that's different. That slows you down. 
they placed dozens of these oversized bright green traffic cones on a five foot wide strip of bright yellow, what they call detectable warning tiles. They're tile with kind of a, a quarter size bump, but thousands of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you walk on them, they, uh, they feel different on your feet. Yeah, and that's exactly that your brain as you step on these things is like, this is different. Maybe we should move with caution through here. They use these to designate the areas where you get on and off the buses, but right oh. next to them, they created these crosswalk spaces with giant black and white stripes that were created in such a way that they, they visually directed you to the central plaza. You know, it's just like, well, that they're, they're moving in that direction. I should go in that direction. So people would instinctively tech, step off the bus, pass past these cones, and see the, the thing and go, okay, I need to go in that direction. That's where the entrance to Disneyland is. The design team at Martha Schwartz and Partner, as they're pitching their final design for the Disneyland East Esplanade, you know, they're in the team busy building, you know, in Burbank, and they're proudly pointing out, you know, that they included a nod to one of Walt's most famous movies as part of their hyperhighway. And it's like, you see that bright yellow detectable warning tile? You see how oh, it's... Oh, God, no. Yes. <laughs> you know, see how it starts in a tight swirl? It's just like the Yellow Brick Road does in Munchkin no. City in The Wizard of Oz. And, no. and so the Disney exec is like, you know, they kind of pale and they're like, we didn't make the Wizard of Oz. This is going to be a funny story to tell your ex-co-workers. <laughs> you know, and, but the thing is, the Martha Schwartz people are like, no, wait a minute. We were down at, at Florida. We went to MGM Studios and we went on the group movie ride. And you have that giant scene with the yeah. Wizard of Oz that actually includes the, you know, the, the beginning of the Yellow Brick Road. And they're like... We got the licensing right from Ted Turner. In fact, we paid him a lot of money for that, So, which is why we're never telling this story to anybody. Yeah. This is the last time this story comes out, yeah. Yeah, so one uh, final fun fact here. You've got all the people on the East Esplanade who've come in from the offsite hotels and motels, but on the West Esplanade, over in the by the downtown Disney district, you have the tram unload for the parking structure. And the, and the question is, well, how do the guests know when they come out of the park at the end of the night? I mean, it's dark, they're tired. You know, how do they know where to go back for their cars? And it, it turns out the decision that was made there is like, well, we need to give them something to remember. And so that's why the tram load unload station is elevated. Oh. Before they put in... After 9-11, the security tents, you had a clear sight line. It's like, oh, there's the tram. I know to get off there. But, but also, you don't, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the interesting thing, the other thing they did deliberately to give you another sort of icon is that, remember, when you came off of the tram at the beginning of the day, as you stepped off and, you know, stood there on the steps, you could look directly across at the world of Disney with its giant oversized flying vehicles with the Disney characters. And right. I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, at the end of the day, when you came out of the park, it's I'm looking for the trim. Oh, yeah, there's the giant Chippendale and the flying thing. That's where I need to go. And flip side of that, of course, is that, you know, in kind of the Emporium tradition that typically 35% of the guests who walked over to the tram at the west side uh, for the tram station, they wanted up going into World of Disney and doing shopping, you know, because it's like... It's well, right there. It's right there. So... Bonus. Lots of fun stories associated with uh, this, which we'll get to on some future episodes of Disney Dish. But I've always loved that, that story about the East Esplanade. It's like, that famous Disney movie, remember? <laughs> so, 
<laughs> you know that, that that that's now in the training material. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that somewhere when you go to work for Martha Schwartz and partners, they're like, okay, here's a thing that you, uh, you should or should not do depending on your perspective. Yeah. That's funny. So, so. That's fabulous. Good story, Jim. No, Blind Chandler. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's regular show, more from the parks, and Jim gives us phase two of how Disneyland went from a one theme park design to a multi-day resort. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len, at TouringPlans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's getting his spurs and giant lasso ready for the 2020 Hot Air Balloon Rodeo, Saturday and Sunday, August 29th and 30th, in beautiful downtown Steamboat Springs, Colorado. While Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show. <laughs>